You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson and Sarah Raven. In this episode, we're going to be talking about garden props, not garden plants, but all the props that support and make a garden feel like home, be they candles, tables, umbrellas, even gravel and fence panels. And the thing about these things is they can really influence the overall look and feel of a garden. So if you get them wrong, you can have a real battle on your hands with the overall visual picture. So me and Sarah thought it would be really worthwhile just talking about our personal favourite things to have in a garden. And I know at Perch Hill, there's lots of different rooms, but in each room, there are different areas to sit and relax and almost feel like you're within a room within the garden. What are your favourite things at this time of year to bring into the garden on a summer evening? Well, I definitely have found that I need to concentrate on seating in a garden. And that's because Mm. I get up really early in the morning and I go out and I tend to do my Instagram first thing in the morning because it's nice light and it's quiet and everything. But if I don't consciously think about it, I don't, there's not a seat so then I want to sit down, yeah. look, look at the pollinators, you know, if it's not peeing with rain as it has been most of this summer. I just want to have that bit of calm and quiet um, when I'm on my own. There's no one here working or whatever. So for me, not necessarily a table, but just a few seats in different, you know, particularly in the early morning for me, it's the east facing seat or possibly south facing seat. And that for me is fundamental. And uh, this garden is so jam-packed, I actually often forget to even create a, a little slot <laughs> in the paving <laughs> where you can fit a seat, but it's really important. Don't you think that? Yeah, increasingly, actually. I mean, I used to be, I think because my garden was a front garden, mm. I used to be like, I don't want anywhere that's going to remind me of the interior. I don't need that. I just want no. plants, plants, plants. I want, you know, just to... And actually, if you can't make your garden somewhere comfortable, you sort of your garden just becomes almost a workspace. Mm. So in contrast, on in our back garden, which is tiny, and my mum, you know, does take time to sit in the garden, it's it's become really important to make sure she's got somewhere mm. lovely to sit. So a chair and a lovely cushion and a table to put your, you know, your little morning mug of coffee mm. is, is fundamental. And actually, I think, I think for most people it is. And that's why gardens, I think, are constantly being pitted on these lifestyle makeover shows as, as garden rooms aren't yeah. they the problem is quite often you get people that are more interested in forcing the garden to become a room than than making a marriage of plants and garden furniture yeah no and there's I nothing think, more I depressing think often it goes wrong i went to a garden the other day and i really don't mean to sound snooty about this but it was <laughs> it's sort of really co- contemporary design of a house which i rather liked and then you opened to a deck with that plastic coated rattan furniture and then Awful. astroturf and a barbecue. Yeah. And <laughs> and it was indeed open to the elements, i.e. rain could fall on it, but there wasn't a single growing thing in that garden. It was just deck and astroturf. 
And there wasn't even a pot of basil or anything. And I just thought, this is where the world could go and we must stop it. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I had an interesting experience yesterday, actually. I was taken to this hotel in a village, newly opened hotel, by someone who knew what my reaction would be. This beautiful new hotel, beautifully furnished, you know, lovely expensive furniture. And in the middle of this hotel, behind the bar, was a, a courtyard. And it could have been the most gorgeous outside dining space Mm. but they'd chosen cheap slabs Mm. they hadn't done as badly as what you've just described they weren't plastic plants but you know there was just the most boring sorry for itself looking jasmine against the wall and horrible glass tables which which frightened me to be honest i i don't i'll never have children but the idea of a glass table in the garden with with children and animals i just think oh my god it's just you know the world's going wrong so yeah, often it's it's strange, isn't it? How often the wrong thing gets put in a garden. Yeah, um, yeah. And they're expensive, all these things as well. Absolutely. But I mean, that just brings me on to the whole thing of materials. I mean, my husband, Adam, has taught me so much since I lived with him about materials and whether it is the, you know, saving up and having less stone paving and having soft planting between that. I mean, that's what we've had to do in the cutting garden because we couldn't afford to do the York stone over the whole width of the path. So we've got gravel edges, which are incredibly cheap, which we've planted with, we've actually made holes through the gravel edges. Every couple of meters, we've made a hole for a two liter pot. So we've then mm. planted things like sage and um, centered leaf pelagoniums and and then self-seeders so that it's softening the gravel. I mean, I would have preferred to have York stone over the whole thing, but we just couldn't possibly afford it. No. But I would rather have spent the money on that proper stone rather than buy some re- reconstituted thing, I think. I just feel mm. here. And, and similarly for me, it's all about materials in the garden furniture. You know, I, I want to have a, a weather-resistant wood, ideally, that's a sustainable wood, and, you know, rather than plastic, you know, really, ideally, because it needs mm. to feel like it sort of fits in this farm setting. And mm. I similarly, I'm afraid, am a massive fan on the positive of terracotta and zinc and metal containers like sort of farmyard containers as opposed to glazed ceramic pots because it's again it's all about materials and the glazed ceramic pot feels like it's woo it's all about me mm. i'm the noisy thing in this garden and i'm the statement and you can have some beautiful spira pot or that incredible potter that's glazed in a beautiful beautiful way and that's different because that's an art object but just having something shipped in from from the other side of the world that's bright blue i had them here in the early days but i don't have them anymore <laughs> Yeah, it's so true that. And I remember actually the first week I was at Perch Hill, I overheard a discussion, I think it was Josie with, with somebody else, about um, the colour of the gravel. Because in the cutting garden, you still do, you do little paths between each row of yeah. of, of flower. And um, I think the wrong colour gravel had come. Like gravel maybe with too much white in it. Oh, yes. And just little things like that. If you if you t- start to go against the tonage of, yes. of the earthy colours, very quickly a path can can really start to take away it doesn't matter how beautiful your flower beds are if that path or that yeah. that edge is screaming out look at me yeah it transforms the look of the garden and yeah. and i i don't i have to say also i like to have a path that i can go out barefoot on i don't like all yeah. this broken yeah. slate like path thing that you're seeing a lot now yes because it's so uncomfortable and the size of gravel i think is important you can very quickly make it look like you've shipped in part of brighton beach yeah if the gravel's too big 
Yeah. Um, the I don't know what size gravel you use in the Oscon, but it's such a small gravel. Yeah, it's five to six millimeter P shingle, mm. and you know I always I always measure it by the nail on my little finger. And um, so, you know, that is basically the diameter that I'm looking for. Also, Mm. if you have pets like we do, we have dogs, and it's tragic if you see them with bigger stones, they walk and they'll go right the way around the edge because they just can't bear. It must get, when it's bigger, it must get between the pads and their Mm. paws. And they absolutely hate it. So it's not just on aesthetics, it's also on dog love that you need to be careful about it. (laughs) And then what about um, in the evening? So, I mean, I've mentioned the morning, but the evening is obviously yeah. when we get back from work, you know, the end of the day, open a glass of wine or whatever. So what are your big things for your garden for the mm. evening? Well, I, I'm going to be controversial. I think I've inherited this pet hate from my mum. I don't like electric garden lighting very much. No. So, you know, people people spend an awful lot of money, I've noticed lately, on that flood lighting and lighting everything up and, and my mum used to get really annoyed with the neighbours she used to stay. We haven't got any owls anymore because there's gardens lit up and everything's going away at night time. And I think mm. possibly she, she might be right because um, we don't get owls or bats anymore at home. But I do love candles um, in mm. the garden. I know it's more effort because you have to light them every night, but um, I've got metal candle stakes that are like tea light holders um, that hold a little glass cylinder. Mm. Um, and I've got loads of those and I can move them around the garden so... If I know we've got people coming, I'll Mm. push them all into the largest copper pot we've got in the middle of the garden, which is by the seating. Mm. So the copper's lit up all night long. You can get long-lasting tea lights. And that just makes the gladiola or the dahlia, it makes them look like they're on fire at night time, particularly with with white flowers, which I know aren't my favourite palette. But actually at night, if you've got a white white tonage garden with candlelight, you're you're onto a winner, particularly on a a balmy summer evening you could be out there till one o'clock in the morning and have a lovely time you're not much chance of that this summer <laughs> no not this summer well who knows um maybe woolly jumper and a vodka you'll be fine <laughs> but i know you used to have i remember a classic photo of you holding this huge i suppose i should describe it as a wax goldfish bowl yes yes um, yes and when i first came to Perchill, i noticed you filled them with with rice yes and each one had about five tea lights in yeah. So um, I love those because they, they look like alabaster. And I, I love mm. the idea of an alabaster tea light holder. But obviously, you can get them in Cairo for nothing. But I, I don't seem to be able to find them very easily, quite cheaply. Whereas the wax is oh. is completely brilliant. It, it gives this wonderful warm glow. If it's the ivory, you don't want the bright white ever, whether it's Christmas lights mm. or, or summer garden lights. But what I found is that on a really hot day, particularly, you actually need to bring them in because they start to melt because they are wax. But also, if you light the uh, tea light in the bottom, if you have you know more than one or two, it again starts to wax from the inside, uh, melt, sorry, from the inside out. So someone just told me, I mean, it's an obvious thing. You just fill the base with rice and it, it absorbs some of the heat. And so all mine have got that. But again, this summer, because it's been so wet, they do fill up like goldfish bowls. So you've got to remember <laughs> to empty them every so often. But I love them because they give such a lovely light. Mm. And to be honest, I'm not sure you're so convinced, but I do love the odd solar light, not glaring electric light, but a really, again, warm white, sort of soft, gentle Solar, it depends on the light colour, doesn't it? Yeah. It's got to be that warm. I love, um, yeah. you know, copper wire lights because they have yeah. that glow gold light. I don't like that 
almost hospital white light. Yeah, when, you know, no. the, the light that you get when you're in the dentist chair. Yeah. Uh, but if you can Blue get white. the white. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I do like, I love the solar alliums. Um, mm. You bought me some of those for Christmas and they're, mm. they're lovely, especially in autumn. I mean, what I'm going to do this year is um, once I've done all my silver birch halos and things on top of the winter pots, once I've done them, I'm going to get lots of outdoor copper wire lights and I'm just going to yeah. drape them over all the staking. And solar. An old sweet peewig ram. Yeah, yeah, solar, absolutely. I mean, it's just come so on. So you're not it's, worrying about batteries. Yeah, and solar has been transformed in the last couple of years. Mm. I mean, I went to a trade fair about three weeks ago and there was literally a sort of warehouse full of just solar lighting and it's just incredibly efficient. I mean, we've got some of those alliums and every evening as it gets dark, they come on and then when it gets light, they go off and they have a a light-sensitive panel in them. And they are, honestly, I mean, I've had them hanging there for two years and they really are incredibly durable. Lovely. And one one thing we both both passionately love are um, hurdle fence panels. Mm. I know they're expensive, but they really do, for me, make a garden feel like it's it's a beautiful place, even if it's been, you know, freshly planted. I, I really would struggle if I was to move into a, a square garden surrounded by just, you know, cheap plywood fence panels mm. and Sarah how did you because when you first went to Perch Hill that's you had to get lots of them didn't you for windbreaks yes have yes. you got any tips for making them last longer yes um I have actually it's so windy here at Perch Hill what I found immediately is I would plant things and whether they were tree a perennial or an annual they just wouldn't grow and I was mm. a complete beginner then and what I found and read about of course is that if they're being pummeled by the wind quite regularly, they just cannot recover from that bruise and damage. And so they just don't grow. So I had to very, very quickly, literally in my first two or three years, I had to get hedges established. But what I found is that the hedges wouldn't grow either unless <laughs> I put a windbreak up. So I thought about that thing called burlap, which you can get in America, which they wrap up in really frosty places. They wrap up a lot of their yeah. garden structures with it. But it's actually really quite difficult to get a hold of here. So I, I couldn't get that because that's quite good at filtering the wind. But so I, I have to admit, I got rather obsessed by all of this. And what I found is that a hedge is really good because it filters the wind rather than displacing it up in the air because then you get damaged the other side or quite an open weave panel. It has the same effect. And so it became my preoccupation. And we either made them from our own hazel here. So with chestnut uprights and then woven um, hazel, or we actually bought from Somerset Levels a willow that had been harvested because we couldn't harvest enough from here. And we had a rubber hammer and we just tapped it down. And that is much cheaper than buying panels. Of course, you can get ready-made panels, um, but from hazel or willow. But they only last three or four years. So then I then discovered this other system, which I have to say works incredibly well if you're trying to get a new site established, which is, again, chestnut posts, which last 10 to 15 years. Uh, they're really weather resistant, even buried in the ground, and uh, putting those every couple of meters. But then what I used was roofing lathes from peg tiles, which we have all over Sussex. And they're sort of about three centimeters wide, I guess. And they come in these, I think, 
four meter lengths or something. And I found that I could really quickly and easily just weave those quite open with quite a lot of air going through, but enough to break up the wind. Anyway, if you want to do a DIY, very much cheaper panel, that is, I think, a really, really good system. Very good. And also, I mean, it was funny last week, we we, we were having an old Persian carpet, I think that's what it was, uh, delivered. And it was a really grey day because the summer hasn't been there sunny and we rolled the carpet out in the garden. And suddenly it was like having a, almost like a flower bed on top of top of the paving. It was fantastic. Oh, that's such so a nice gonna, idea. We're going to look for an old, cheap, you know, beautiful carpet floral. Mm. And we're going to have it just for like days when it's sunny in the garden for lounging about on. And then where um, can you store it though? That's the only thing. You're... Well, we've got a wood shed, so we'll have to okay. roll it up, I suppose. That's such a brilliant idea. Um, oh, I yeah, love I loved that. It. It just felt like, you know, like Marigold Hotel. I mean, I yes. often love watching films like the Marigold Hotel yeah. just to get inspiration on like garden props. Because what we all forget is all these films, they've got a whole team looking for vintage yeah. furniture and yeah. and umbrellas and things. And that's that's what we all have to do for our own gardens, really. And we've also got a gorgeous umbrella that looks like it's from India as well. It's like bamboo and then a beautiful... Not paper, obviously, it's got to be a bit weather resistant, but it does look very vintage. Mm. And that, I think, was from a shop called Cutter Brooks. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I think she's on Instagram. Yes, yes, I know that. In Gloucestershire, quite near you, actually. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I definitely, um, when we were here in lockdown with our grown-up children, they came back and our eldest daughter, (laughs) quite rightly, wanted to get a bit more garden furniture. And Adam was like, I don't want you to turn it into a country park. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so she had to persuade him to allow us to get a garden umbrella. There is no one who sits under that garden umbrella more than Adam Nicholson. <laughs> it's like as soon as the sun's out, it's tied up. Out it comes. And there he is lounging on his, on his sun lounger, which we weren't allowed to have until Rosie insisted. <laughs> And um, I think it's really important to make it not as outdoor roomy as the AstroTurf place, but to make it really nice to be in. So you do Mm. go out, you do get your vitamin D, you do breathe the air, you know, all those things that we know are so good for us. And having a sort of an outdoor sofa with a with a sort of just about weatherproof cushion and a and a massive outdoor brolly. That's the thing I find is a lot of them are too small because they need to get in the back of the car. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, too small. And I remember actually, um, Trisha Guild, she bought wonderful waterproof cushions to Chelsea. Do you remember? She, yeah, I do. I do. Um, and they yeah. were they were brewing actually. They were they like are. a weatherproof fabric. Yeah. Because um, otherwise you get lazy, don't you? Because you think, oh, it's going to rain. I can't be bothered to put them out. Stuff gets ruined. Or, yeah. or you leave them out and they get ruined. So, I mean, this summer it's been so wet so regularly. We just haven't even hardly put the cushions out yet. So it's really good to have something that's at least shower proof. And then um, I, I definitely think on tables, I'm I'm very obsessive about buying old cafes, sort of French-style bistro tables. And um, Oh, yeah, they're fantastic. I, I just love them because I always think whatever time of year, give your pots a stage is something that I say to myself the whole, whole time. Mm-hmm. And particularly in the winter somehow when the garden's quite drab, it's really great to walk in to the back door with like a plant theatre either side full of what's looking lovely that particular week and then have these tables just covered with bigger pots. So you lift them up from from sort of down ankle level up to eye level and then you really enjoy them. So from things like 
uh, snowdrops and aconites in sort of January, February onto fritillaries and all those sort of really exquisite things that almost get a tiny bit lost if they're in the garden. I love mm. having them on uh, raised stages, which are basically these tables. And I'm I'm a joke actually in in my family in that there's a place called Nutley Antiques in Nutley, just on the <laughs> what we call on the way to Gatwick Airport. <laughs> And uh, I, I spend a lot of time on the Nutley Instagram and loads and loads of the containers have come from there and loads of the benches and these tables. And she practically can't buy one without, I mean, she sends me a picture and I find it very difficult to resist. She knows so, her market. <laughs> she does. <laughs> so I now have so many, we actually have them inside as well as outside. And, um, and they, you know, I've really got to stop because it's becoming a bit addictive, but I really yeah. like the fact that I don't have to worry about leaving them out all winter if necessary. And um, it, it's just, you know, even the the most seasoned wood, apart from teak, which we're not meant to use anymore, or the, or the more sustainable replacements, you know, the, even the chairs will rot, but tables certainly would with that large surface area. So having those metal ones, I think, is a brilliant thing. Definitely. I treated myself... Um last July because I hadn't been able to get to Chatsworth to one of the Duchess's jelly shoe chairs. Oh, I've which seen are, that. Which, are, which remind me of the jelly shoes you used to wear when you were little when you used to go rock pooling. Yeah. I managed to find one in purple and um, it's the most comfortable thing. It's not allowed to come to Gloucestershire. It's got no. to stay in Nottinghamshire apparently. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine but James not really liking that. another one because they, they do them in amber ah. um, as well. <laughs> amber might go quite well on top of your Persian carpet. I think so. I don't think I'm allowed one, though. <laughs> the taste police. But they're really comfortable. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that takes us round to the to the fake rattan. You know, I, I mean, I guess if they're, if they're making a massive statement, so I mustn't be so snotty about it. Mm. I think it's, it's about your colours, isn't it? I mean, yeah. what I remember growing up were those, um, do you remember You've Been Framed? which had endless clips sent in of people falling out of those horrible plastic chairs. Yes, I yes. mean, they were really in vogue once, but they were everywhere, weren't they? Those horrible plastic chairs. Yes, that got algae true. on, and then every spring you'd have to, your grandma would go, all right, we've got to wash down the, the garden chair now, <laughs> covered in algae and bird droppings. They, thank God, seem to have evaporated a bit. And deck chairs. <laughs> I, I, I've definitely sat on two or three deck chairs that have been left out all winter and you sit on them first time yeah, in the summer and you just them. you go straight through <laughs> them. And it's quite humiliating with your legs sprawled up by your ears <laughs> as your bottom collapses through the sort of metal, yeah. I mean, the wooden woodwork. Yeah. But bunting seems to have had a real revival. That's the only other thing I want to talk about, bunting. Oh, yes, bunting, yes. Because we use that in the marquee, don't we? At yeah. Our friend Caroline, who does all our away days with us, gave me a very good tip once with bunting. And I really do think this is true, which is bunting has to be ironed. And I know that sounds fussy, oh, yeah. but it, otherwise it can look a bit like it's been out in a storm for about uh, 12 months. Whereas if what mm. she does is she takes it down and really carefully puts it away in a, in a crate, but it's always ironed if it's got a tool creased or wet. And so it goes yeah. back absolutely immaculate. So then you take it out the following year and you just unravel it. It's just the most beautiful thing because every, every mm. bit has not gone moldy or mildewy or, and it's just, it's like, it's like sort of Tibetan flags just coming out of this wonderful box. And, um, I think good bunting is, is very, very good. I agree. Instant party feel. 
Uh, and I suppose the final thing that for me is not plant matter that I use on a daily basis is my coloured enamel buckets and my orange handled florist scissors, or sometimes yellow. But I've got a collection now, mainly from Nutley Antiques, actually, of I've got a pink enamel bucket, I've got a green one, I've got a blue one, I've got an ivory one, I've got a navy blue one. And they're half the price of, you know, a really good stainless steel bucket, which of course is a fantastic thing, which you can get at at a Chandler's, like a champagne bucket. But both of them are really fabulous because they last a lifetime, literally, because with the enamel, it's been treated. Whereas just those tin ones that you get at the farm shop, I find the bottoms comes out of those after a couple of years, they just rust away. But I always have them by my back door for flowers for picking. And I always have just next to them, those florist scissors that are so much stronger than kitchen scissors. So you can even cut woody stems, but are so much uh, sharper and more delicate than secateurs. I never use secateurs for picking flowers, actually. I just find them too cumbersome. No, I don't. You end up tearing, particularly with roses, I find you cut a rose and you end up tearing the bark from under the, the cut. They, they do more abuse than good. Yeah, and they just feel so heavy in your pocket. I mean, I know you can get those mm. things that go on your belt, but I don't wear belts, so that doesn't work for me. So uh, those those would be my must-haves. I love your little candles on sticks in the garden. They're fabulous. I love the solar yeah, lights. They're from, um, I mean, during lockdown, Instagram really did become, as well as a visual thing, a shopping thing, didn't it? So yeah. I suppose we'd better, I, I'll just plug a few pl- places that I've ordered garden things from who do mail order if you can't get to antique shops, lavender and leeks and depuddy vintage. And if you fancy a Chatsworth chair, you can get those from eclipsefurniture.co.uk. Next week, we are going to be talking to Sarah Mead of Yo Valley, and we're going to chat all about organic gardening. So we're going absolutely back to the plant-based stuff, uh, but it's been fun to talk about things that aren't growing and equally important in the atmosphere of a garden large or small is these things you put in it you can find more information photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com